Greetings, friends and family. Today is Sunday, June the 7th. And we're going to begin a couple of weeks of looking at worship, at what worship is defined in and as in the scriptures. Today we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1 through 8, reading from the NIV, Isaiah's Commission. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be wholly pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Worship, very simply, is not for us. You see, worship is a gift that we give to someone else. Worship is for God. The origin of our word worship is similar to the word worth. And when we think about what something is worth, what it's value, then we understand worship. And in Revelation, one of our great sources of teaching about worship, we hear the refrain, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That's chapter 4, verse 11. You see, worship is for God. But we can lose sight of this truth. Sometimes in the past, a person has come up to me after a service or or perhaps reached out via text or email or something and, and has said, you know, we're church shopping. And what I hear when I'm hear that is I hear that refrain from that old fairy tale. Well, this soup was too hot and this soup was too cold, but this soup is Well, the soup's just right. You see, we form opinions about all of life. We are comparative by nature. We are comparison shoppers, and we make most of our decisions in this way. And this comparativeness has spilled over into worship, certainly over the past two decades, if not longer. And and some observers have described this as worship wars, What an awful description. Contemporary versus traditional. My favorite style versus your favorite style. And so often music becomes the middle and the central part of this argument as if music is the only form and only way that we worship. Now to be truthful and fair, there is profound worship in any quote-unquote style, but going down the road of style leads us to the wrong place because it places everything in the context of preference, my preference or your taste. 
And worship is unique in that it is not about our preferences at all. It is something else altogether. You see, it's not for us. It is for it is for God. It is offering our very best selves to God. There is deep biblical tradition of worship, of, of giving our best offering, our first offering, the first fruits of the harvest to God. Christians, believers, well, we worship on the first day of the week corporately. Sunday is the first. It's not the last day. It's not the week end. It's the week beginning. And God's people were instructed to give their first fruits to God. You see, worship is an offering of our best selves, our real selves to God. And that worship service can, can take place in a cathedral, in a shopping center, a small country church sanctuary, or even in a parking lot. And we see a rich picture of what worship looks like here in the sixth chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah's in the temple. He's, he's overwhelmed with the beauty and the glory of God, and he hears the voices singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That's verse 3. This is nothing other than, than an experience of praise. And, and then something happens after praise. If, if it's authentic worship, an experience of the holy, well, well, we see ourselves in a different way. And that seeing ourselves in a different way makes Isaiah have confession and acknowledgement, a true statement about himself. Woe is me, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. There's no us and them. We're just all unclean. <laughs> but you see, when, when we worship God, we are somehow changed. This is not the purpose of worship. It's not about us. But by experiencing God, we are transformed. How can we not be? Then there's a, there's a good news. There's an intervention. Our guilt is taken away. Our sins are forgiven. Our Father in heaven is powerful and mighty, holy and beyond us, but at the same time, gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love, and our guilt is taken away. Our sins are forgiven. And, and that would be enough. It would be more than enough. But that's not the end of worship. Worship is more than a relationship between God and the individual. When we worship, when worship is authentic, when it is the experience of the holy, there's unfinished business. You see, God has our attention. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, here I am, Lord, send me. If we've entered into the world of the Bible, we, we are a long way from church shopping. We are a long way from sizing up the deity that matches our temperance and taste, our styles and status. The roles have been reversed. The world has been turned upside down, and all of a sudden we are a part of someone else's agenda. Worship is all about praise, confession, and forgiveness, and from worship there flows the desire to call and the call to reflect God's glory beyond the temple, outside the sanctuary. Once, once we leave the parking lot and enter into the world, there's this invitation, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then there's this response, here I am, send me. Lord, help me to love justice, to love your mercy, and to walk humbly with you, as Micah instructs.
Worship is not about us. Yet when we have worshipped the Holy Triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we are transformed. We have begun to experience the new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and, and we are filled with a deep desire to reflect God's glory in the world. But without worship, everything is threatened. You see, without worship, we start to see our gifts as our own possessions. We see the world as a, as a resource to be used, and I begin to see my neighbor as competition for the goods that, that we would seek for ourselves. And then I, I start to see truth as whatever spin we can put on it. Without worship, we, we easily deceive ourselves and, and ignore others. Without worship, we can begin to think that all of these problems and all these issues are somehow out there and that they somehow don't affect me. Without worship, we can wander off into all kinds of places, and none of them is the destination that Jesus wants for us. But passionate worship, authentic worship, changes all of life. I confess that I consider worship to be something of a miracle. Public worship, certainly something of a miracle. My negative thought is sometimes I'm, I'm amazed anyone wants to come and worship. Why would anyone leave the comfort of their bed on a Sunday morning, put gas in the car, be, be directed into a parking place that, that maybe sometimes is not the one you want and tune into a radio station, turn the car off and then on and then off and then on, not be offered an amazing plate of biscuits and gravy, just sit there in the car why would people do that it makes no sense really unless there is a God who is real who is above us and beyond us but also right beside us and within us and within one another and occupies that space in between who is created who created and sustained and sustains all things who is worthy of our worship. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth, and I said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, Lord, send me. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before your, the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen, and God bless.